You're listening to an episode of the Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life podcast with your host, Kim Olver. This is Kim, and welcome to the 183rd episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life. If you like today's episode, be sure to leave me a review wherever you listen to your podcasts and share with your friends on social media. Just don't forget to tag me at Olver International. Today, we'll be continuing our conversation on education with Dr. Ed Dunkelblau. I met Ed when we were both speaking to deploying and returning military audiences and their family members through the Yellow Ribbon Reintegration Program. The more I learn about Ed, the more I realize he is a wealth of knowledge on many topics. When I saw he was giving a talk at a local university on social and emotional learning, I knew I wanted him to speak about that on this show. Ed received his doctorate from the University of Kansas and was the Alumni of the Year for Columbia University Teachers College. Ed is the founder and director of the Institute for Emotionally Intelligent Learning for over 25 years and is currently the International Coordinator for the Academy of SEL in Schools. He also was the recipient of the Lifetime Achievement Award from the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. Thank you so much for joining us today, Ed. I know you're still recovering from jet lag from your trip to Taiwan and China, and I'm really glad you are awake and upright and able to do this interview. Thank you so much. I'm glad I'm awake as well. Upright is still a challenge. (laughs) Well, you look pretty good to me. I know the audience can't see you, but you look pretty (laughs) good to me. (laughs) Let's start with sharing what exactly SEL is. Okay. For probably two centuries, education in the United States has been primarily focused on the three R's, reading, writing, and arithmetic. For a long time, there was also a lot of awareness that there's more to education than just reading, writing, and arithmetic. Teachers would be aware of it and focus on that as well. In the 50s and 60s, with the space race and the Cold War, there was a lot of effort to focus in on science and technology. And we tended to lose what we call the softer skills. So there's a rebirth happening all across the world, actually, focusing in not only on basic academic skills, but also on what we're calling social and emotional skills. And the specifics of those are self-awareness, knowing what's going on internally for yourself, self-management, handling your emotions, handling your impulses, social awareness, knowing how other people are feeling and react, building good relationships, and then finally making good choices and decisions. That's what's Mm. known as the CASEL 5. CASEL is the Collaborative for Academic, Social, and Emotional Learning, and they're kind of the central clearinghouse for social, emotional, skill-building, programming, and academics. More recently, we've been looking at adding some additional skills to the social-emotional cluster, and that helping children develop a noble purpose so that they have some sense of not only what to do, but why they're doing it that falls more into the category of social, emotional, and character development, because we want to focus in on purpose and values as well as social, emotional skills. And finally, one that I'm discussing more recently is also helping children develop and support curiosity and healthy skepticism. 
given the environment wow. that we're in now with social media, everybody's an expert and every opinion is presented as fact. So the recipients really need to take time to think about who's saying it, what are they saying, and what's the accuracy of what they're saying. Yeah, I like that a lot. I'm thinking about parallels to what I learned about EQ a long time ago, your emotional quotient, but it seems like it's so much more than that. It is. It kind of grows out of EQ. It grows out of Dan Goldman's emotional intelligence. What we've done is taken that general concept and parse it out into a number of areas that are translatable to schools so that children can learn the skills that support all of those areas. You would be more familiar with current research than I am, but what I remember from a while ago is that your emotional quotient is even more indicative of your future success than your intelligent quotient. Yeah. Is that yeah. still being supported? Not only still, but more so. The sayings from 20 years ago was that it's 80% EQ, 20% IQ for success. But we're finding that the highest achievers in our society, the CEOs of the world, that 80% doesn't hold. It's about 95% social and emotional skills. Wow. Think about it. It makes some sense. You just have to be smart enough to get the job done. But in order for you to succeed and advance, you really have to be able to build teams, get along with people, handle your own impulses, not get into too much trouble emotionally, and be a really good decision maker and problem solver. That really resonates with me. It sounds so true. And it goes along with, from choice theory psychology, we're always talking about relationship building and yep. people do business with people that they like. And so having good social and emotional skills would also enhance your ability to form good relationships, which would definitely help you in the rest of your life. I love that we're teaching this to students in school. I have eight little people in my life who are in school now, and it makes me happy to think that they might be learning this stuff in school. Well, it depends on where they go to school. Uh, Illinois has been really kind of leading the charge. A couple of decades ago now, they were the first state to include social-emotional standards in the state educational standards, requiring every school to actually pay attention to it now. The follow-through has not been as strong as I would like to see, but it's certainly there. And many, many states across the country have now adopted that. And there's a movement called SEL for US that has, I think, 23 member states that are looking at social-emotional competence and applications in schools across their state. It's happening all over and it's growing. And especially after COVID, we're recognizing the emotional toll that COVID yeah. took and yeah. the way to really address that is through SEL programming. That makes a lot of sense. I think about COVID in my world was a small blip in my life path because a year to me or two years to me is nothing. You blink and it's gone. But I thought about my grandkids who are in school and they've been in school for three years and now they're out a year. It's a big big change for students. Yep. And I just did some training with a bunch of students who graduated in 2020 from college and they didn't graduate really. They didn't walk. They didn't have the ceremony. So there was a lot of things that people missed. And it was a year spent in uncertainty and a lot of anxiety. And I could see how SEL would be the thing. Do you find that there's pushback with teachers who feel like this isn't their job? Sure. I've worked in education 40 years, and my experience is whatever you bring to a school staff, you'll get about 20% of the staff that says no. Doesn't matter if you're handing out $100 bills, they'll say, sorry, don't put me in a different tax bracket, please stop. 
the 20% are always going to be there. What we found is there was more pushback early on when teachers saying, not my job, I don't know how to do it, I'm too busy. Over the years, we've been pretty successful in making the case that this not only is your job, but it'll make your job easier. Right. And in fact, one of the sayings I have at the end of my trainings is that social emotional learning is not something else on your plate. It's the plate. It's mm-hmm. the thing it's the thing upon which all other education is based and supported. To not attend to social emotional competence really is to limit your academic instruction. And I'm curious, you might remember that years ago in another lifetime, I did a lot of work with what we called specialized foster care kids. These are kids with mental health diagnosis and some pretty horrendous abuse in their background. These students, they go to school and they struggle with learning. Does SEL help them? I know back then, a lot of times they were getting left behind because they just couldn't focus on learning. Would SEL have anything for those students? Absolutely. And in fact, when I work with school systems, very often where I get the least resistance and the most excitement is in special ed programs. And I was thinking about why that is. It's because the people who are working with the students you're describing already recognize that you can't do a lot of teaching unless you address the social emotional factors. So they're very welcoming. They already do a lot of it. So there's not as much training required or convincing required. There's nobody that doesn't benefit from learning better social emotional skills. One of the things we find, which is really exciting, is that perhaps unlike IQ, which seems to tail off and limit in the early 20s, SELQ, <laughs> that's not a real thing, uh, social emotional learning abilities seem to be helpable through the lifespan. There's hope that's for spouses, there's hope for adults. One of the things I'm asked when coming into a school system is they'll say, well, how quickly can we see results with kids? I don't have a good answer for that. Excuse me. I don't have an acceptable answer for that because what we're finding is it takes probably about three years before Mm -hmm. we see significant differences in kids who are receiving consistent programming. But what we do find is we see definite positive changes in the staff after the first year. One of the things we know is that it's very hard for staff members, for educators, for counselors, for psychologists to teach social-emotional competence if they're not practicing social-emotional skills. It's important that we address the staff first. Right. And the same would be true of students whose parents don't have good social and emotional skills. They can't learn them in a vacuum. I'm really happy to hear schools, some schools anyway, are really addressing this issue. Funny you should say that. Just a quick comment about that. When I was in Taiwan last week, they have a little different model of teaching social emotional competence, and they're using almost 100% parents. They have over 1,000 parent volunteers who go through 40 hours of training and then go into classrooms and teach social emotional competence. And they were reporting that, yeah, it's working in schools, but what the parents are reporting more is that they're better parents and they're better spouses because of what they're learning. Who doesn't want to do that? Who doesn't want to be a better parent or a better spouse? That's awesome. Yeah. I love that. When you go and work with educators, what are the skills that educators need to have or acquire to be able to provide social and emotional learning for students? Typically, educators already have the skills. That's not the issue. 
think about things like listening or empathizing or building mm-hmm. relationships and engagement or problem solving. What teacher doesn't exercise problem solving on an hourly basis? The skills are already there. The key here is to teach them in an organized way, to understand what skills need to be taught, to teach them in an organized, age-appropriate way that's additive over time. So helter-skelter teaching or the teachable moment teaching, though it's good, it's not the most effective way to teach. The biggest challenge with teachers is not so much teaching them the skills as much as convincing them that this is important enough to be a priority in their classroom. I'm guessing, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm thinking that there isn't a specific class called social and emotional learning with a curriculum. You kind of weave this through all of your classes all day long. Is that how it works? Actually, no. Partly, yes. If you think about the process of teaching social emotional learning in a classroom, there's two parts to it. One is you have to learn the skills, and that's direct intentional teaching of social emotional skills. But you also have to interweave it throughout the entire curriculum. Imagine you're teaching reading. Now, with reading, we have to teach specific skills to learn how to read. But if we only did that, and we didn't invite students to read throughout the day, our reading instruction would be horrible. This is very similar. We have to teach the skills in an intentional way, perhaps at a specific time, but then we have to take those skills and have them practice throughout the entire school experience. That makes a lot of sense. So there's curriculum, students learn the skills, and then it's demonstrated by teachers throughout the entire day. And it's an expectation that students will also practice what they learn. I would imagine, Ed, that that improves students' relationships with each other. Do you see a lot of bullying going on in schools that are practicing social and emotional learning? We hope not as much. Bullying is one of those unspoken constants as kids grow up. The hope is that we build a climate and a culture that doesn't support bullying and in fact suppresses it and says it's not okay in our environment. And we have ways to have students and staff talk about building a climate that doesn't tolerate bullying or teasing or anything that fits into that model. In addition, we try to build a climate and culture that supports being able to speak up when you're not feeling good or when you're scared or when you're upset. And it also teaches bystanders to speak up and become what a colleague of mine calls upstanders. Yes. They intervene in the bullying. The whole concept here is to build an entire culture that's safe, supportive, and encouraging. But the other added benefit, which is really the major selling point for social-emotional learning programming, is aside from all that, it also improves academics. There's Mm. very strong research to suggest that students who experience and practice over time do better in school academically. That makes so much sense because when you're under stress, you're not thinking clearly. If you're stressed about what's happening in your interpersonal relationships or you're having emotional challenges that you don't know how to manage, you're not going to be able to learn. I remember Bruce Lipton talking about cells are either open for growth or they're closed for protection. And if you're closed for protection, you're not going to learn anything. I love that the research is bearing that out. That's excellent. Yeah, it's very exciting. And for those people who want to bring SEL into their classrooms and into their communities, it's a very strong selling point because the largest pushback is often, my kids don't have time for that. I want them to get into a good college. The realities are that 
SEL will help them achieve in high school and junior high. But the other issue is that the data coming out now is that the college dropout rate is somewhere around 50%. And most most of these kids are not dropping out because they can't cut it academically. They've been good enough to get into whatever school they're going to. They're dropping out because of social emotional difficulties. Yeah. Has any research been done on correlations between social and emotional learning and suicide rates? I don't know of anything directly, but we know that there is face validity to suggest that if I'm learning how to express myself better, to know what I'm feeling, to reach out and get assistance, to make better choices and decisions, to build better relationships, it makes sense that that would counteract the risk factors for suicide. I have a question written down that we may have already covered, but I wanted to ask you why social and emotional learning is important. We've hit most of the key elements that it improves well-being, it builds positive school culture, it improves academic achievement, it builds relationships. One of my favorite quotes that I generated, and probably the only quote that I ever generated that I like, is when I'm asked, when should we start teaching social-emotional skills to children? And my response is, we should start teaching it when their parents are in kindergarten. Perfect. That's Uh great. I ask all of my guests this question in keeping with the title of my show. I'd like to know if you'd be willing to share with us one choice you've made in your life that's had a significant positive impact for you. Every day there are choices. Every day we choose one thing and let go of a hundred others. It's hard to select one, but as I think about my career, at least we'll stay in that realm for the moment. I was always interested in humor. Even as a kid, I figured that if I was funny, people would like me. And that was very important to me. So I was Mm -hmm. always interested in jokes and humor and what made people laugh. I wanted to find a way to bring that into my professional work. And really, back when I started, there wasn't much interest in that. It was seen as frivolous. My joke was nobody takes humor seriously. So (laughs) Many, many years ago, I was at a conference for the American Psychological Association, and I came across a brochure that was for the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. I looked at it, and I read through it, and it was for professionals who use humor, laughter, and play in their professional work. I've been searching for this my whole life. And I connected with it, found my people, and I found the people who see the world the way I do and value humor the way I do. So AATH.org turned out to be my home. And it really affects everything I do in social emotional learning and psychological services. And so I would say that that choice was probably a key choice. I would guess that that organization found you as much as you found them, which is awesome. We're coming to the end of our time. And I just want to see if there's anything you'd like to add that we haven't had a chance to talk about. I love that you were interested enough to hear about SEL. As you can tell, I'm passionate about it. My belief is that if we're effective at doing this, the world gets to be a better place. And heaven knows we need that right now. Amen. If people wanted to contact you to maybe come in and do a presentation for them, how could they do that? Probably email would be best. It would be ed, E-D, at teacheq, T-E-A-C-H-E-Q.com. I really appreciate you joining us today, Ed. I know you have a busy schedule, and I appreciate you taking the time to talk with my audience about this passion of yours. So thank you so much. Thanks, Kim. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast, and remember to leave a review and share with your connections on social media. 
I also hope you'll join me next week when we'll be continuing the topic of education with Steve Hammond. I'm looking forward to it. Walk with you then. This has been another thought-provoking episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life. To listen to past episodes, please visit our website at lifeequalschoices.com or listen wherever you download your podcast. And don't forget, remember to subscribe.